Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Perhaps the world's greatest animal quest is trekking to visit the gorillas of Central Africa, the region of Uganda, Rwanda, and the Republic of the Congo. Experiencing families of these gentle giants in their natural habitat, knowing that they are surviving in a difficult world, is a magnificent once-in-a-lifetime experience. There are many kinds of great apes in this region. Currently, there are 100,000 western lowland gorillas, maybe 5,000 eastern lowlands, about 1,000 mountain gorillas, and less than 300 cross-river gorillas. Safety programs are working hard to save the species. We're going to focus on the mountain gorillas. Since the discovery of that subspecies in 1902, its population has endured years of war, hunting, habitat destruction, and disease, threats so severe that it was once thought the species might be extinct by the end of the 20th century. In the 1960s and 70s, numerous attempts were made to capture live mountain gorillas and start a captive population. Many adult mountain gorillas were killed to obtain live babies, none of which survived in captivity. So the only way to see them is still to go to their natural habitat. Our guest is Chris Johnston. He's been at Steps Travel for over 20 years as a travel expert. He first visited Africa over 26 years ago and planned for six months there, but stayed for two years. He's led groups for CNN, BBC Wildlife, and National Geographic photographers, as well as countless adventure travelers like myself, who are looking for what is surely the most human of all wildlife encounters. He's also worked closely with the Ugandan, Rwandese, and Congolese governments to look at ways of providing sustainable gorilla trekking in new regions for tourism. Welcome, Chris, to Places I Remember. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. I want to first have you tell us briefly how gorillas live and what they're like in the wild. Ah, goodness me, what they're like in the wild. That's a great question. I suppose the most straightforward question is they're they're very much like us. Uh, They live in family groups. They kind of worry about the same things. They are emotional beings. They are phenomenal kind of human sentient beings. And I think that whenever you see a group of gorillas in the wild, you'll very quickly understand the dynamics. And you would with any kind of family group. There's a dominant silverback. Uh, who's very much the the leader of the group, making sure that the the group is kept safe, um, looking for food. So everybody follows him. When he moves, you know, everyone goes with him. Then, of course, you have the the females who are kind of clucking around the the babies and the newborns, making sure that they're safe. And then you have the the slightly cockier sort of teenage gorillas or blackbacks, as they're called. They haven't quite reached the maturity of the silverbacks yet, and that shows in their colour. And they're the ones that are usually showing off running around, play fighting, mucking about. And then, of course, you have the very, very small kind of infants, babies almost. And they're the ones that, like toddlers, taking their first tentative steps, falling over, good comedy value. So Yeah, the toddlers are the most fun to watch. They're all doing <laughs> somersaults are. and climbing <laughs> on the back of their silverback father and yeah, he's so patient yeah. with them. It's just wonderful. Oh, yeah, they're brilliant. Really fun. So, yeah, just like us. So tell us what a typical trip to see the mountain gorillas entails. Okay. So the way that it works is that you buy one permit to go and spend one hour with the gorillas. And, you know, it's not cheap. It starts at about $1,500 a permit. 
And what that one hour gives you is, as I said, you know, one of the most human wildlife encounters. So it starts off and you are taken to the park headquarters where you meet the the guides and rangers that are looking after you. And what we always try and do is to put people in groups to reflect their ability because everyone's different and the gorillas move around. So it's a physically demanding trip. So you sit down talk through your guide what you want to do. And then you head out into the forest after you've had your briefing. And that walk in itself is fascinating because you're walking through a forest that's rich in bird life, in flora and fauna, you know, colourful butterflies, birds, some great views uh, to be had when you're looking back. And then you kind of continue to follow the path that the gorillas would have taken. And your rangers are in radio contact with the the spotters, if you like, who are way ahead of you that would have got up at first light to pick up the trail of the gorillas. And this is constant communication between the two. And then really, once you're in the same area as the gorillas, and you, you can see where that is by the the um, the footprints, the spore that they have, the breaking of the branches, the nest that they made, you know, there's big telltale signs that you see. And you'll, you'll come across the, the gorilla group, but you'll see them in the distance. You won't see them clearly. And that's when the porters and guides will ask you to take off your uh, your bags and, and leave anything that you don't want for the one hour of the gorillas with your porters. And as I'm sure you remember, that's when the kind of nerves kick in and the hairs in the back of your neck. Oh, it's time. so exciting. It's yeah. so exciting. Because, you know, they're just around the corner. So then you walk towards them very cautiously, very, very carefully. And at first, you know, you may not notice them. Because even though they're huge and they're black and they're furry, <laughs> they're quite hot. <laughs> so it may be that the first glimpse you see them is the shadow or, or a face half in shadow in the forest. You may then hear something behind you and you turn around and you, and you see a small juvenile walk past. And then as you become accustomed to your surroundings, you start to see them everywhere. You know, a small group in front of you maybe, or uh, a couple in the trees above you. They, they do spend time up in the trees sometimes. And I think it's then that it hits you. It is quite the most mesmerizing thing because you've only got one hour with them. So it, it, this incredible experience is distilled into, into you know, 60 minutes. And the more that you look, the more that you see. And I think that that's the, the joy of it is that keep your eyes open because they could be anywhere. <laughs> right. And they come very close if they want. <laughs> yeah, that's, tell that's, them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do. I mean, there, there's a rule that uh, the park has that they can keep. Uh, you're meant to keep seven meters from a gorilla. Now, of course, when you go trekking, you don't always stand in a line uh, and the gorillas don't stand in a line seven meters away from you. You step forward, they all step back. So they can be anywhere. And we've had clients and it's happened to me that we've been watching a gorilla from a safe distance. All of a sudden, a silverback will come and brush past me, step on my boot, you know, the knuckles on the foot. So they can appear from anywhere. So you have to be sensible and you get a very good briefing about the do's and don'ts. Well, I was told not to pound my chest. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so there's lots of stuff that you can do to stay safe uh, but it is mesmerizing and to see these guys walk past you is uh, it's heart-stopping stuff it's it really wonderful is. now yeah. there are challenges tell us a few of them i think people should know it's a quest that isn't easy but yeah it, exactly yeah and i think you know by the very nature of where they live it's a mountain environment mountain rainforest so it's steep it can be muddy the altitude is certainly something to to consider it's about 8,000 feet to 10,000. Yeah. Is that the max? That's Yeah, that's right. Because th there's a certain level, a certain altitude at which the, the gorilla's food is available. After that, you know, when it starts to get really high, then it's it doesn't, they don't have the bamboo and the food that they need. So it's always between that, that elevation. It's tough. 
It's not a technical climb. You rarely need any kind of assistance from that point of view. You may feel a little shortness of breath, but the good thing about the guides is that it's slow and steady when you're there. And it's not a route march. You know, they make sure that everyone goes at a slow pace, but it's steep. It can be at a higher altitude than people are used to. It can be muddy. It can be slippery. You know, so it's a physically demanding trek. But what we found with clients that have done this in the past is that a little bit of preparation before you go certainly helps. And I think that no matter how much blood, sweat and tears you you have getting there, the minute you see them, it's it's worth every every moment. I agree. And something you may not know out there, if you're disabled, elderly or feel you're not up to it. Mm-hmm. Well, there are still ways to achieve your dream. Tell us about it. That's right. Uh, obviously, you know, everybody. The biggest question that we get asked when it comes to gorilla trekking is how fit do I need to be? You know, it's a very hard question to to answer because it's very subjective. You know, everybody has different fitness levels. Everybody is is comfortable at different fitness levels. So what we always try and do is to help people achieve their dream by seeing the gorillas in a number of different ways. Firstly, we always try and make sure that we allocate a particular gorilla group that is nearer to the park headquarters if people are, are kind of find you know, walking in those kind of conditions a challenge. So that's, that's the first way. Secondly, there are things that we can do, almost like sedan chair sort of stretcher you can be carried with. And they're, they're very, very good. They're very comfortable, a bit wobbly from time to time. But that would be you'd be taken up in one of those by four different guys who'd, who'd have a sort of hold on each corner. And that allows you to be carried up ways that, you know, perhaps you may not uh, be able to do on foot. So they can take you right up to the grillers and bring you back down again. So just because you're perhaps not uh, you know, as able-bothered as others, there's still ways and means to get you up there to come face-to-face with the grillers. Yeah, that's wonderful to know because a lot of people feel the dream is over, but it isn't. You can work this out. Yeah. And the, the, the porters are well-paid. Exactly. And that makes it feel better when, when that happens. You know they're well-paid and happy yeah. to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's an interesting point, actually, there, because a lot of the time you go up, you meet your guides and your rangers, but the porters, they do most of the hard work because they will carry your bags. They can carry you effectively if you're there, look after you when you're there. And, you know, employment opportunities in, in certain parts of Rwanda are very limited. So, you know, these guys, they're, they're very rarely girls, often get the chance to have a steady income stream in an area where there's very few alternative um, sort of revenues. So it's good to take advantage of them, even if you don't think that you need them, you know, do offer them that because they have family support and it does generate a huge right. amount of income for them. So win-win. Exactly. So what are the best months to see the gorillas? What you want to avoid when it's raining, you know, it's, oh it's tough enough as it is when it's dry. It's wet enough. <laughs> exactly. So there's a lot of moisture around the whole time, but really November is wet. So too January through to March. So don't go then. You know, even if you get good deals, it's a pointless exercise. It's too wet, it's too slippery. You don't want to be turning over an ankle the minute you head out. So really June through to September is the best time to go. If I had to pick, I would say August through to September, it's drier, even though there's a lot of moisture around. The rains have subsided. So the paths are well trodden. They've been used a lot more in the preceding months. So it's clearer to get through because some of the paths are quite thick. You literally have to hack your way through the rainforest. It grows so quickly. Several people mentioned that they were combining the wildebeest migration in the Serengeti, one of the great animal excursions, with this great animal excursion. What month would that be if someone wants to plan ahead to combine these two wonderful things? Because Tanzania is a neighbor to these countries. So it can be done. It is. It's it's a great point, actually, because we've had clients that do this quite a bit. And you can do it in one of two places, either Tanzania in the Serengeti 
or in Kenya in the Maasai Mara. Both of those countries and both of those regions, you can travel August, September is the best time to go. So it works really well, dovetails really well. And I say either of those countries work because there are actually now direct flights from Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, and from Entebbe, the capital of Uganda, into both the Mara and the Serengeti. So you don't have to go around the houses to get there. So some people have been doing trekking for a few days, come back to town, fly into the Mara, and they're sitting there having a cold beer, watching the migration as the sun sets. So it's unbelievable. So- That's got to be one of the great trips ever. Yeah, pretty <laughs> well, spectacular. <laughs> pretty spectacular. So mm-hmm. the two main countries we're going to talk about where these mountain gorillas are, are Uganda and Rwanda. Let's start with Uganda. Winston Churchill called it the Pearl of Africa for its beauty and its abundant wildlife and its diversity. It has mountains. It has part of Lake Victoria. There's Murchison Falls National Park. And you see the big five there if you go on a, a safari. So you don't have to go to Tanzania yeah. in either of these countries. You can see them in the yeah. countries. How does it differ between Uganda and Rwanda in terms of seeing gorillas? Okay. Well, I think certainly in terms of seeing the gorillas, then Rwanda is, I would say, on balance, the easier of the two options. The two forests in which you can see the mountain gorillas in Rwanda, it's the Parc National de Volcan. And in Uganda, it's called the Bwindi Impenetrable Forest. And they're actually that part- name, that name is scary. <laughs> I saw that and I said, I'm going to Rwanda. <laughs> well, the clue is in the name. What you find in Uganda is that the penetrable forest is about 25,000 years old. It survived you know, the last ice age. So it really is diverse. So with that, you get very thick vines, you know, lobelias hanging down, moss trees. You know, it's steeper. It's muddier. Um, it looks impressive, it has to be said, but it is tough going. It's thick, thick, thick forest. What you find in Rwanda is that it's a younger bamboo forest, that particular area. So it's still got the the history, it's still got the dramatic views of the volcanoes in the distance, but the actual vegetation is much, much lighter. And therefore, walking through it, you can see more. It's less of a challenge. Things don't get snagged on your clothes. It's a much more, I wouldn't say straightforward walk, but it's a much clearer walk. You know, the vegetation lets a lot more light in. So it's much better for photography. We get a lot of photographers go to Rwanda for that reason. Well, I can say, yes, there were beautiful stretches when it was open, mm-hmm. but it was pretty hard much of the way. I will say besides the gorillas, you can see many other types mm-hmm. of primates. You see the golden monkeys, you see yeah. the chimps. Tell yeah. us a little about that. Yeah, you do. I mean, again, this is in both countries, in Rwanda and Uganda, you can see both chimpanzees, a lot of other primates. I mean, For example, in Uganda, in the impenetrable forest, they have over 15 different species of primates. So you've got vervet monkeys, colobus monkeys, black and white colobus monkeys, baboon monkeys. The the list is endless. Mm -hmm. Um, Chimpanzees, you know, I find as fascinating in many ways as gorillas. Oh, they were fun. They were fun because they were up in the trees, you know, like acrobats. And then they made these these howling noises every so often. (laughs) I know, yeah. Which were resounding through the bush. You know, it was just amazing. Well, that, that's the thing. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because they are really fun. They're kind of like they're sort of slightly more naughty cousins to the gorillas. They're always on the go. <laughs> they're always on the move. 
Uh, gorillas are amazing, but they're quite sedentary and graceful. Chimpanzees aren't. So I think that they're <laughs> just as much fun to go and see. It's a different feeling. I think you yeah. are awestruck by the gorillas. Exactly. Yeah. But you have fun with the chimps. Exactly. Yeah. Spot on. <laughs> At least Spot I on. did. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, when you go to Rwanda, you should not miss the Diane Fossey Research mm. Center and the and the wonderful exhibits there. You see how the gorillas are all follow. They're all named. They have personalities. Everybody keeps research yeah. on them. And every year they have a baby naming mm. for the new ones. It's just, it just gives you an idea of how important these animals are to yeah. the country and to the world. And you, mm. you again, are, are somewhat awestruck by some of the famous gorillas that they feature mm. through, throughout. It's, it's just a good thing to visit if you can before, yeah. I would say, before you go out there. Yeah, I, I think you're right, actually, on that point, Leah, because what, what I think Rwanda gives you, perhaps, that Uganda doesn't with the gorillas, it's got the stories behind it. It's got the heritage. It's got the history. Of course, you know, everyone's heard of Fossey and Attenborough, but it's the people doing the day-to-day stuff, you know, now that are equally as important in continuing that legacy. And there's lots of ways that you can do that, not just by paying for the permit itself, but as you said, the Dine Fossey Centre that's there, but just meeting the people that are working there, I think it's fantastic. And you are following in the footsteps of people like Fossey and Attenborough when you go out on a trek. So it has that history. You know, it's it's a palpable sense of history that you get there. And and I think that, you know, Rwanda, it's a very different feel than that which you get in Uganda. You do feel as if you're sort of following in the footsteps of giants in some ways. So yes. And also Rwanda has a, the recent tragic history mm. of the genocide. And people might not know that between April and July 1994, about 100 days, nearly one million ethnic Tutsi and moderate Hutu were killed as the international community and UN peacekeepers stood by. And you learn so much from the museum there in Kigali, the capital. And it reflects itself in the animals because the gorillas are thriving now. I'm sure it helps that the country is so peaceful and so ecologically centered and trying to be progressive. It's a very marvelous country right now. The women are empowered, good health care. It's very clean. It's very safe. I I I came away so impressed with Rwanda. But also the national park, the Akagari National Park, Mm. it was founded in 1934. And during the genocide, there was a terrible loss of animals there because many refugees went there to live because there was nowhere else to be safe. And there was civil strife and there was poaching. But the park today is repopulated with animals returning, including the big five. And I have to say, it's a wonderful mm. prelude to see the that and the gorillas. Yeah. Well, I'd see the park yeah. before the gorillas. Couldn't agree more. I think that what Rwanda has done now, and you touched on it you know, just a moment ago, in as much that Rwanda, considering where it was you know, 25, 30 years ago, the turnaround is nothing short of, of, of miraculous because what it's done now is positioned itself very much as a sort of leading light, if you like, in terms of cutting edge, you know, sustainable tourism in a way that no other country in Africa, I don't think, has done, with the exception of possibly Botswana, which has always had a reputation for for very high-end experiences. Rwanda can now offer that. You know, you have these amazing lodges up in in the Virunga region, but so too Akagera, as you say, it's a huge turnaround. And African Parks, the charity that stepped in to help with that, has, has transformed that park. And it is now a big five destination. You know, it's the size of the Mara, but it has two permanent camps in there. So those are the kind of figures we're looking at. And and the sense of space that you get there is amazing. So you can do big five, 
and gorillas in a yeah. relatively short period. And the camps there are just fantastic. So. And the park is so beautiful, the Akagari. Oh, oh it's yeah, just yeah. one of the prettiest areas I've ever seen for it. Oh, yeah. the lakes there are amazing. You know, I remember sitting out there one evening at uh, in one of the camps, beautifully starry night sky, and it was just reflected in the lake. And it was just this enormous <laughs> kind of infinite <laughs> sort of star. It was, it was incredible. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful trip to make, no question. The name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So let's share some personal memories. I'll start. I have a story that's kind of ridiculous, but it tells you how many things can happen that you don't expect. So I'm going to tell it. It's sort of funny, I think, now that it's over. But, you know, it's a long, long way from Mm -hmm. anywhere to get to Rwanda. You've got to change planes usually and... There's lots of things you have to do along the way, take tests for health and all that. And you're very happy to finally get to the place. Well, I got very close to the gorillas at the park where they tell you what to do in terms of how you act and what to expect. And they put the groups together and I was all excited. And they tell you before you go to see the gorillas to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. Unfortunately, I got locked in the stall and I I couldn't get out. And I thought I came all this way, halfway around the world, and I'm not going to see those gorillas because we're all timed very carefully. And I thought, they're not going to wait for me. They don't even know I'm in here. Well, luckily, somebody came in finally. And after that, men and women came in to help me out the door and everything. I finally got out. But that was a real lesson. I mean, you can do everything you can think of to be ready and you never know. But it's still worth it. I still got to see the gorillas. (laughs) And it makes a great story, right? They let you out in the end. Yeah, They let me out. Absolutely. And I also, at this time, I just want to honor a gorilla that inspired me to make the quest. Mm -hmm. It's a gorilla named Coco. Many people know her. She's Mm -hmm. a female Western lowland gorilla. She was born in the San Francisco Zoo, and she lived most of her life at the Gorilla Foundation in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California. Her instructors said that Coco used sign language to convey thoughts and feelings, and her researchers documented that the gorilla had more than a 1,000 signs and understood some 2,000 words of spoken English. And I would watch her videos, and I just was so taken by her. She was an international celebrity. She was on the cover of National Geographic and so forth. But she really led to major revelations about animal empathy and communication. And she had no companion for most of her life, but she loved her human researchers and she loved kittens. And my memories of her made me want to achieve the quest of visiting the gorillas in their native habitat. So thank you, Coco. I just want to give her a (laughs) shout out. So that's my little memory. So what about yours? For me, my, my strongest memory I have of, of the gorillas was actually my very, very first time to go and see the gorillas, you know, 20, 25 odd years ago. When I first walked into the clearing, into the forest, I came across a group of gorillas. There was one particular silverback who was there and he stopped what he was doing and he turned round and he stared me straight in the eye. And they always say you should never look them in the eye. But I was almost hypnotised and he stared straight at me and he checked me out. He looked me up and down. He was really getting the measure of me in the same way that you do if you walk into a room and you see people, they look at you. And it's the the first time I realized these guys are intelligent beings. There was something in that look and no other animal I know will look at you in that way. It is. It's astounding. You know, And I think about that moment every time I see them. It's just phenomenal. It's beautiful. Yeah. And each time you go, it's different. Oh, completely. Yeah. Each completely time it goes different, but, but yeah, it's always yeah. it's always amazing. Well, thank you, Chris Johnston of Steps Travel. I hope we made it clear. 
in this yeah. episode that even if you have challenges, you can prioritize, yeah. plan, and someday experiences one of the wonders of the natural world, gorilla families content in their native habitat. And before I say goodbye, if you want to adopt a gorilla, and I put that in quotes, you can donate to the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. You get photos, updates, and videos. My adopted gorilla is named Bisoki. She's named after one of the volcanoes in the park. I did not get to meet her in Rwanda, but her photo is in my hall right next to my cats, Sweetie and Callie. Anyway, thank you, Chris. This was so oh, interesting. Thanks, Lena. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Always nice to reminisce about gorilla trips. So, uh, yeah, really good fun. But anyone can do it. Age is no barrier. Just having the right mindset. Get out there and do it. It's absolutely uh, it's experience. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember. So follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, PlacesIRememberLealane.com, and keep making your own travel memories. <laughs>